0: Hello, listeners. It's your host, Daisha. The episode you're about to hear is all about Rachel Barton Pine's new album, Blues Dialogues, and her foundation's project, Music by Black Composers. And this is something that Rachel's been working on for years, and it extends way beyond just an album. We're releasing this episode, by the way, at the beginning of Black History Month. And I just have to pause for a second to say that while it kind of makes sense to release this episode now, it also makes me just a little personally uncomfortable. Like relegating recognition of black composers to the month of February. It should just be happening in all of the months. But that's what months like this are about. They're about shining light upon those who deserve it, but who, because we don't live in a perfect world, like they don't always get it. And in fact, that's what Rachel's project is all about too, bringing attention to the work of composers of African descent who don't get played on our concert stages. Here's hoping that Rachel's project, and others like it, will help make a world where we don't need Black History Month, because that will just be a year-round thing. And this will just be... February. And now, a word from our sponsor. So you guys hear these Maestro Classics promos every week, and they're actually a really interesting label. It was created in 2004 by Stephen Simon, the conductor of the Washington Chamber Symphony, and executive director Bonnie Simon. They had these programs aimed at introducing classical music to families, and they would play it to sell-out crowds at the Kennedy Center and all of this critical acclaim. And the label Maestro Classics was created to record and share these narrator-plus orchestra performances. They're recorded at Abbey Road Studios with the London Phil, and honestly, it's some of the best music for kids out there. Learn more about Maestro Classics at maestroclassics.com. And now on with the show. There's a rumor going around that classical music can be hoity-toity. But here in the classical classroom, we beg to differ. Beethoven
1: five. <laughs> the idea that classical music is a zone where we have to feel restricted, or
2: we have to act in a certain way. You know, that's not going to be helpful going forward. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking with excitement oh, here. I mean, there's just so many great parts of the opera.
1: He asked me to play his favorite spot in the first moon of the Brahms. And then he said, I started using those licks in my guitar solos.
0: How to be classical music rock stars because there's not enough of that in this business. Occasionally I would plug in the mandolin to my distortion pedals. <laughs> I don't change my voice. And <laughs> talking to classical voice. I'm playing classical music now. I mean it's, it's yeah. the same 12 notes. That's what's so cool about it. I'm Deisha Clay, a classical music newbie, and I'm trying to learn all I can about the music. Come learn with me and the classical music experts I invite into the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is violinist Rachel Barton Pine. Rachel is basically a veteran guest on The Classical Classroom at this point because the woman never stops. She's basically a juggernaut of creativity. She's always got something new to talk about, and we're always glad to have her. She's a world-renowned performer, having performed with basically all of the major orchestras as well as with her metal band, Earth and Grave. Today, she's here to talk about her latest album, Blues Dialogues, music by black composers. Rachel, welcome back. Always great to talk to you, Daisha. Can you talk about some of the pieces on this album? It's called Blues Dialogues. And um, what's going on there? Because, you know, most of us know you for your work with earth and grave just kidding most of us know you for your your work with classical music so what's up with the the blues crossover well this isn't crossover this is straight up classical music every single
1: track and it just happens to be that these particular pieces of art music use blues as a building block you know Mm. so much classical music has other types of folk music or traditional music or other styles and whether you're thinking about you know Um, Leonard Bernstein writing things with a jazz influence or Bartok with a Hungarian folk music influence. So it's classical music inspired by the blues, a dialogue between blues and classical. Um, But it's all composed music. There's no improv. But certainly the fact that I do play straight up blues and have jammed with blues bands and, you know, can just do that whole improv thing definitely helped my understanding of how to effectively interpret this music, because I could bring Mm -hmm. those same kinds of inflections and timing and the special sorts of slides and bent notes that you need to do to bring out that blues flavor. one I ever discovered um, of this set of pieces was the David Baker Deliver My Soul. I was in my favorite sheet music shop when I was a kid. You know, some some teenagers would go to the mall and buy clothes and I would go to my favorite sheet music store and charge way too much on my credit card and come home with a stack of music. (laughs) And so I found this piece one day and it was you know, twelve. it wasn't like, you know, the Ravel Sonata with its blues movement. Yeah, you know, that's much more like kind of jazz. But this was straight up 12-bar blues made into a recital piece for violin and piano. And I was like,
2: what?
1: So <laughs> I was so excited. I've performed it numerous times. Actually, I have a YouTube video of me playing it from, from I think, 10 years ago or something. And um, that's been a, a constant in my repertoire.
0: I like that a lot. We, you just describe the scope of your, your project. Cause I mean, this has been, it's been many years in the making for one thing, uh, and and this is this seems like just a beginning since it's called, Volume One. Exactly. But, yeah. Talk about the full scope of it. Yeah. So thanks for
1: asking. So we have a whole series um, plan for violin, um, and then we're going to do other solo instruments. We're going to have music for school orchestra. It all started with my '97 album violin concertos by black composers of the 18th and 19th centuries. These were Afro-Caribbean and Afro-European composers from the time of Mozart and Brahms. Absolutely beautiful music that was very much unknown. And after that album came out, I started getting requests from students, parents, and teachers asking, you know, where can I find some of this music for my kid? And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, a lot of it is just not accessible and not available. It's in manuscript only and has never been published, or it's been long out of print, you know, another element of discrimination and, you know, just lack of opportunity historically. So I had started my RBP Foundation for the Purpose of Young Artists Support with our instrument loan program and um, financial assistance for young artists. And I suddenly realized, wait a sec, I have a not-for-profit and I love music research and I'm very passionate about music education. So this would be a perfect project for me to do because somebody needs to do it. And um, so <laughs> now it's been 15 years. We've collected more than 900 pieces by more than 350 composers, men and women from Africa, Europe, North America, South America, the Caribbean, um, even a couple from Oceania and Asia. We already, on our musicbyblackcomposers.org website, have a living composers directory where people can find music or choose composers that they might want to commission. There are more than 170 composers on that list. And you can sort them by gender, by geographic region, by year of birth. So if you're looking for a young woman um, from Europe of African descent, you can find her or multiple of her. Um, It's just an (laughs) amazing resource um, that I was you know so happy to be able to launch and then we have reading lists and for more information about composers and so on one of the things that we haven't launched yet but we're working on is a database for professional performers which will have solo music chamber music orchestral music basically tell you what exists and where to find it because that's uh-huh. some of the barriers people say I want to play you know, some music by black composers, but what is there? What what pieces have been written and where do I get it and so forth? So we're trying to, you know, make things that much more easily accessible by having all of this information right at your fingertips.
0: Well, talk about some of the pieces on the album. Like, what are some of your – what are some of the ones that come to mind? I won't ask you to pick your favorite because that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, well, so – of course, there's two women composers, Dolores White,
1: whose blues dialogues inspired the album title. And she kind of marries elements of Bartok and Stravinsky with this idea of the blues. And then... Erilyn Wallen. See, we can't call this album African American composers because of Erilyn Wallen. She was born in Belize and um, lives in the UK, uh, but her music is, you know, very funky. And this particular piece is kind of a, a distillation or a um, a deconstruction of woogie boogie or boogie woogie style. She calls it woogie boogie, <laughs> very cute. Charles Brown's Song Without Words almost didn't make it onto the album. Uh, it was kind of a last-minute addition because I definitely wanted only pieces that were classical compositions written for the violin. So, you know, uh, the the Charles Brown was, of course, a vocal piece, but there's a long tradition of violinists playing songs without words by Mendelssohn, Dvorak, the Rachmaninoff Vocalise, and so I I realized that this piece would be really beautiful on the violin and it's actually different than um, a lot of songs without words because it's actually meant to be hummed and you can see some YouTube videos of some you know very compelling performances by vocal artists humming this song so I actually started my preparation for it by humming it rather than playing it the kind of this kind of thing to really get the inflections, the timing, figure out how I wanted to phrase it. And then I picked up the violin and used a kind of sliding technique to imitate that sound to bring the music to life. Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, his Louisiana blues strut has become a real favorite. I, I frequently play it as an encore after concertos, and it's, you know, it's for unaccompanied violin, and it's not what audiences expect. It's just a real wild ride. Grant Still Suite is probably the one, you know, repertoire piece on the album. Certainly people perform it a fair amount. I had actually previously recorded the middle movement of the William Grant Still Suite, which is titled Mother and Child, on my Lullabies album. And it's interesting to sort of approach it now as the mother of a, you know, just turned seven-year-old as opposed to, you know, back when I had a nursing <laughs> baby. Yeah. even a new piece on the album written for me, the Billy Childs um, incident, which is about the Philando Castile shooting. And of course, there's a long mm-hmm. tradition um, in the blues of, you know, protest music. And, um, you know, and I, well, I, I just recently attended a Ricardo Muti from conducting Chicago Symphony doing Bobby Yar. And, you know, I think of this piece um, by Billy Childs as very much in the same vein of, you know, drawing attention to human atrocity in an effort to you know, kind of work through it and hopefully um, end up with a better world.
0: Fact. We have a kick-ass website. Fact. It's at classicalclassroomshow.com. Fact. You can find all of our episodes there, including all zillion other Rachel Barton Pine episodes, all of which we love. You can download free lesson plans that go along with our episodes. You can just scroll over the photos and watch the pink headphones appear. It's mesmerizing. And don't forget, there's now a tip jar where you can make a one-time or recurring gift, and I'll sing to you in an episode. There's just a wee little button that says tip jar up in the corner. By the way, our friends at New Y made our beloved website, and they can make a website for you to love too. They can also help you promote it and your business. For more information about New Y, go to slash NW. That's N as in new and W as in Y. And now back to my conversation with Rachel Barton Pine. So I want to talk about why it is that you feel that it's important to talk about the music of black composers because, I mean, in this day and age, aren't they just, you know, composers? Like, why why the need to shine the light on them? Well, actually, you're absolutely right. I do
1: hope that, you know, if our work is successful, it will literally become obsolete and unnecessary. But we aren't at that point yet. A lot of these composers, you know, are not in the canon, not because they aren't just as deserving, but because they've been historically overlooked. And so you need to highlight them now to sort of right the ship.
2: Mm. Clarence
1: Cameron White, that's the oldest piece on the album. He was a virtuoso violinist of a 100 years ago, and yet because of discrimination at the time, he didn't have... Um, the performance opportunities that he deserved. You know, he wasn't being booked by mainstream concert series. Luckily, there were a fair number of African-American classical music organizations that presented concerts for just that reason. But he, you know, didn't have a a lot of orchestras to solo with, um, etc. So, um, unfortunately, he didn't make any recordings, which is just, you know, criminal, that we don't have that record of him, but we do have a snapshot of his artistry through his compositions. And interestingly, many of his compositions were performed and recorded by guys like Chrysler and Heifetz. In fact, Yasha Heifetz recorded this Clarence Cameron white piece that's on my album.
0: So you've you've been you've been on diversity panels. You're you're actually a member of the Chicago Music Association, which was originally founded. As a first branch of the uh, National Association of Negro Musicians,
1: yep, I'm I'm on the board of Sphinx and the board of the Chicago Symphony's African American network. Yep, whatever.
0: I mean, yeah. So you're you're very deeply involved, but but there's this unavoidable fact, Rachel, and they may not have found this out yet. But you're a white lady. Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what's what's it like to be? an 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 advocate i mean you are an advocate but you're i mean you're also a collaborator for for a group that you're you're not d- naturally a part of like what has that experience been like yeah i mean
1: the first thing that i ever think of when describing myself before saying i'm a woman or a redhead or you know someone who's on the mm-hmm. shorter side height wise any other <laughs> way i might describe myself you know I always say I'm a classical musician, and that's what it's all about. I really, you yeah. know, believe in. First of all, I believe in, you know, just good music getting heard and played. Whether it was, you know, my old album of the obscure original violin works of Franz Liszt. Of course, everybody's heard of Liszt, mm-hmm. but they hadn't heard of his violin music. Um, you know, some of the yeah. Scottish music or the the Clement concerto and the Joachim concerto that I, you know, made these recordings of. And you know, those are white guys, but I was championing them too. So I guess you know, this is just one slice of the music that I try to shine a light on I think you know like on the one hand you know I'm a musician with a certain amount of success or notoriety and so you know that's you know very meaningful that I would be championing you know somebody in my position would be championing mm. this music and now there are more and more up and coming um, young soloists of color um, who are going to you know or already do have fabulous careers uh, you know Daniel Bernard Remain you know a dear friend and His filter um, is a piece that uh, actually has a Jimi Hendrix kind of approach to the blues, this wild cadenza. And then during the main part of the piece, he's actually imitating on the acoustic violin some of the distorted sound effects that you would get with a plugged in electric violin.
0: what you're doing seems really important in that way. And that you're saying that it's not, it's not a, um, it's, it's sort of about, I think, representation, you know, when you, when you don't see yourself in, in a particular genre of music or in in anything that's out there, you know, you, you're like, well, that, I guess that music isn't for me. And, and, um, and you and you don't you just don't go there. You, why 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 would you? Nobody nobody there looks like you. Much like the history of women composers, it's not that they weren't there; it's that they weren't being given uh, the recognition, the platform, yeah, exactly. and the recognition. And so you're you're now bringing that into light. That's exactly. Awesome. And you know the
1: best thing is when men play works by women composers, because then yeah. that's like. You know, an endorsement in a different way. That's that's very important, um, but it's also about access to classical. And I be- I des- I believe mm-hmm. that everyone, you know, benefits from having classical in their lives and deserves to be part of classical. And in the case. Of African American children, what's been really heartbreaking is to hear that sometimes they feel like classical is somebody else's music. And yeah. you know, as someone who's just a you know really passionate about education, um, I you know wanted to show that you know because it's like I come from Chicago, where we have the Center for Black Music Research and just so many resources. It's like I know mm-hmm. that Frederick Douglass played the violin, that Coretta Scott King played the violin, that there were all black orchestras in the 1800s, and all these composers but the average kid in the average town and their teacher they don't know any of this stuff and so they don't realize that this is their music too and so in order to diversify which is so important to all of us to have all of us represented you know and and having inclusion in our genre um, in order for people to really participate in the next generation we have to educate them now and part of educating them is providing relevant materials and so this is you know where where we come in yeah the Noel de Costa Suite. He was born in Nigeria to parents of Jamaican descent and spent a large part of his career in the U.S. So he's alternately claimed as an African and African American or a Caribbean composer. Um, you know, take your pick. But um, this is a this really is a great example of some of the barriers that exist. Um, I had collected this piece um, more than a decade ago. And it had been sitting in my library, you know, just kind of on my wish list, but I couldn't and I, I couldn't play it because it was in manuscript and the handwriting was kind of scribbly, and the piece was co- so complex that I just couldn't, you know, practice it off the music stand with this manuscript. And so finally, I was able to get it entered into the computer and engraved. And um, I I could tell that it was really cool, which is why I really wanted to play it. But after I was finally able to start practicing it, it turned out to be even better than I had predicted. And it's just such a good piece.
2: That's, again,
0: it, it, like you said, it's all about about access, and it can be such a deterrent when you when you want to do something. You're like, yes, I would love to include this music, but but you literally don't know where to find it. So so this is called Volume One, and are there? I'm guessing you've got plans for more volumes in the future.
1: Oh, absolutely! We're already almost done with Volume Two, and we're, you know we're wow. going to go. Basically, the idea is. Not to have a replacement curriculum, right? So it's very important to have our shared heritage where we all play Bach and Vivaldi and Mozart, et cetera. But yeah. you know, there's no reason why that should be the only music that we play. And so this is designed as a supplemental curriculum, not to teach you how to play the violin, but to have um, graded repertoire that you can play at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So the first um, volumes is beginner to elementary level, and we're going to go all the way up to advanced. Wow. It's amazing because, you know, I released books and cds and new concerts and do all this stuff all the time but there's just the feeling when i was holding this violin volume one in my hand having worked on it for 15 years there's Mm -hmm. like no adjective in the
0: english language to describe the emotion that i felt i bet i can't imagine that working working on a project for that long and then being like releasing it into the world it's amazing It's been interesting to think about these things because,
1: you know, there's certainly the concept of cultural appropriation when it comes to, for example, pop music, and one has to, Mm. you know, tread carefully. But classical, I think, um, is really in a different world in that sense. You know, like when I'm playing Scandinavian music, you know, it certainly um, is, you know, the the onus is on me to understand it to the best degree possible, but nobody minds that I'm you know, didn't grow up Scandinavian before I went and dared to play the (laughs) Sibelius concerto, you know, and and of course, we're playing music from previous centuries that none of us lived in because it was so long ago. And we're, you know, everything we do, we're trying to interpret um, with the appropriate musical language, whether it's music from the past or the present or music of whatever genre or from whatever population it might be. And so I think it actually gives a certain legitimacy to this repertoire that, you know, other people would would play it, that it's music that deserves to be played by everyone and not some kind of niche thing where only people of color would play composers of color, if that makes sense. And, you know, my, my greatest hope for this music is that it will be embraced, you know, by colleagues of all races and ethnicities and that, you know, it'll just become part of our a part,
0: well, our hashtag is expand the canon. That is wow. There's so much going on on this album. This is this is very cool and Rachel I'm I'm really glad that you're doing this because I I think that uh, that bringing more people that that have been composing over time and just haven't been who've basically been left out of the canon bringing them into the Canon it can't do anything but make it better yeah so Rachel Barton Pine is. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You You're, of course, welcome to come back any old time. Thanks for talking with me today.
1: Thanks for having me on, as always. Look forward to the next one. Yeah.
0: Okay, that does it for this episode. If you want to hear more episodes, just go to our website at classicalclassroomshow.com and listen till your heart's content. Follow us on all of the social media platforms or just send us an email at classicalclassroomshow at gmail.com. And now, listeners, a very special segment of the podcast that we like to call our Heroes Section. Yes, these are listeners who have gone online and have given a financial gift to the program. You too can be thanked in song in an episode of the podcast, though it occurs to me as I say that, that perhaps that would be a deterrent for some of you. And if that's the case, I just want you to know, my silence can be bought. Anyhow. Did you ever know that you're our hero? We'd like to give a big thanks to Jan and Dave, who just became recurring donors to the show. That's right, every month we'll get a little gift. Steve Lazarus, we want to give you a big thank you, too. Thanks, Steve. You are the wind beneath our podcast wing. Thanks today to the home of Classical Classroom, King FM, in Seattle, where I got the best birthday card today with the ladies from Broad City on it. Thanks to our birthplace, Houston Public Media. Thanks to the official marmot of Classical Classroom, Poxitani Phil, for sharing Groundhog's Day with me. Thanks to Rachel Barton Pine for being on the show. Thanks to me for saying words. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.